everyone and welcome to Book Solid. We're your hosts. I'm Soraya. And I'm India. And this week we're discussing Words on Bathroom Walls by Julia Walton, both the book and the film. If you haven't yet, please be sure to check out our bonus episode. We did an interview with Julia. She gave us some really great insight into, you know, her writing process for this book. We got to chat with her about her upcoming novel, Just Our Luck. And we also got to kind of pick her brain about the adaptation process. So we had a really great conversation with her and make sure that you check it out and then head back over and finish this episode. Spoiler alert. Hey guys, just as a heads up, we will be revealing spoilers in this episode. If you haven't yet read the book or seen the show or film, this is a courteous reminder to proceed with caution. So just jumping right in, um, what were your thoughts on the book in general? So I really, really enjoyed this book. I felt like it opens the door for like a much needed conversation. And I know we were talking about this before and we touch on it in the interview with Julia, but there's just such a, um, there's there's a, a hole in, in media, I feel like, uh, whether that be books or movies, TV shows, what have you, and especially like young adult fiction, um, where they don't really approach the subject of mental health very much. And we're in kind of this time where people are starting to destigmatize mental health and talk about it a little more openly, but it seems to only be things that people are comfortable with or things that people might understand. So we're having more conversations about depression or um, anxiety, which are very, very important conversations to have. But like this book takes on paranoid schizophrenia and I can't recall any media the piece of media or anything that I've digested that really takes this on and speaks about it in a way that I feel is like real realistic and honest and open. Most of the time it kind of like casts off these characters and mm -hmm. makes them seem dangerous or um, makes them only their disorder instead of, you know, representing them as full whole people. So it was just really refreshing to see Julia really bring Adam to life and how much we got to see of him that wasn't just about his disorder. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I really enjoyed this book. And like you said, I think oftentimes it's either in the media and literature, um, mental health is treated or mental disorders specifically are treated um, like the characters are almost vilified mm -hmm. or they're like the butt of the joke. They're the outcast. And, you know, it's just it's 2020. Like, it's really refreshing to have a book like this. And like you said, while other um, mental disorders are definitely important, I personally have never read a book where the main character is dealing with schizophrenia. He's also a teenager in high school, mm -hmm. dealing with being a teenager in high school. So it was just a really, really interesting read. Um, I really enjoyed it. I felt really connected. I was definitely crying towards the end <laughs> when things started getting intense. And Adam was so well written. Like, I just just, I feel like he's made it onto one of my favorite literary characters of all time list. Mm -hmm. I was so emotionally invested in his well-being and like, like I can't imagine what he was going through. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just, my heart, I felt for him the entire time. And so I, it's rare that a book can really pull at your heartstrings like that and totally and envelop you in a character in their world. And this definitely, definitely did that. Right. Yeah, you know, it was tough because, like, especially with the book being in his POV, I just kept thinking, like, I want him to win so yes. badly. I want him to succeed. It hurt when he... Because, you know, he's very aware of how he feels like others are perceiving him because of his distorter. And so, like, 
you know, his relationship with Paul, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Just, you know, even his mom, you know, mm-hmm. and her processing it. I love the character of his mom, by the way. Yes, like, me too. 10 out of 10 moms. Shout out to all the moms. <laughs> Would recommend to a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And I just love, like, how raw it was. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's cussing. He's just... He's a teenager. And he was, he was funny. He had a good sense of humor. He's clever. He's, mm-hmm. like, cheeky. And it's just... We love him. Okay? Right. <laughs> we love him. Definitely. And also with that, one thing I know we've talked about, like, off air is... Like, let's just talk really quickly about... Because we were actually talking about it last night. Depictions of high school in media. And uh, how yeah. high schoolers are. Yeah. You know? So, like, I felt like when I was reading this book the conversations, the situations they were in, it felt real. It was very nostalgic. I'm getting a little bit older. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But, like, you know, it felt real. It didn't feel cheap. Sometimes, like, high school is... I just feel like when I watch shows or read certain books, like... It's like, what high school did you go to? Right. (laughs) You know, the characters don't feel real. It feels like it's just for show, just overly theatrical in a way that... Because, like, you know, especially when it comes to bullying and stuff, it's not always going to be super obvious. And there's a part in the book um, in the beginning where one of the characters, Ian, like the school jock, when he thinks no one is watching is when he knocks the books out of a younger student's backpack. And I feel like that's realistic. People in high school can be really bad. Like, Mm -hmm. they can be terrible. But it's not always going to be this big scene when everyone's watching. There's, like, low-key stuff like that. So I felt like that was realistic. Yeah. Ugh, Ian, he was tough to take. I mean, like, he was just atrocious. Like, (laughs) even his apology at the end, I was like, what do you want? Like, (laughs) I was not buying it. And Dwight's dig at him about, uh, he's like, stick to swimming because your cookies are trash. (laughs) I don't know, that part just made me laugh. I mean, I I appreciate the apology and I understand the growth of his character and what Mm -hmm. it was supposed to accomplish. But to me, and um, maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I just couldn't, he knew that Adam had schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and then chose to announce it to the entire school by, you know, posting that video during prom, which was atrocious behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how any human could treat another human like that. You can't even imagine, he couldn't even begin to imagine what he's going through Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And you felt that that was an appropriate way of getting him back. Mm -hmm. So immature and so, so terrible. Right. Yeah, you know that part I was I was thinking to myself, who in this book will get the award of irredeemable trash because <laughs> every episode you know we have to have we it. We have to. We have to, you know. Um I'll be curious when we read a book where there's not one. But I don't know. So with Ian, yes, he does apologize, but like you said, he felt like I mean, the only thing with his apology is the fact that he baked the cookies. Yeah. Because I'm like, he could have went to the store and got them, but then we know Maya made him, Yeah. you know, but he still did it. So I'm like, is there some redemption there? Like, Maybe does he, he does. He realized he took it too far. Right. But it's still awful. Like, the fact that it, that's unfathomable, like, mm-hmm. that he would, but we know he's truly evil because in the very beginning, for no apparent reason, no one's watching. He's, you know, popular, from what I understand, wealthy. I think he's like the president's, or the president principal principal's son or something like that or like yeah his parents are like donors large donors to the school yeah i just that definitely not the principal's son but yeah he has (laughs) his parents have a big stake in the education at the catholic school and so i think he did kind of feel bad but i i will say adam's mom's boyfriend or like fiance husband stepdad (laughs) uh, (laughs) paul (laughs) paul's mom 
Oh, yes. It just, it angered me so much because that it was the absolute last thing that he needed to be hearing. Like, mm-hmm. who was who she to step in and say that he's a danger and, you know, voicing these concerns about her grandchild because, you know, we know Adam's mom is pregnant and mm-hmm. just also we could talk about her homophobic and racist yeah. slurs and, you know, behavior. So she just, she just... I hated to see, because Adam was already making himself feel so badly about what was going on, Mm -hmm. as if somehow having schizophrenia was his fault, Mm -hmm. and feeling like a burden to his family and the people in his life, and just to have this person come in and, like, trying to further that. Obviously, she doesn't know what's going on in his head, but to say those things, you have no idea the impact that your words have on him, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, actually, you probably do and still don't care. Like, do you think Mm -hmm. he has no feelings? Right. You know, you're just saying this right in front of him, and so it was just angering because I hated seeing him put all this guilt onto himself of, like, feeling like he's ruined his mom's life or he's made her life exponentially harder and it'd be easier without him and that's the lot it broke my heart to hear him thinking that so to have someone kind of even just furthering that in his head um was angering yeah and you know i i feel like it could be possible that part of adam's kind of tumultuous relationship with paul could stem from the fact that paul's mother is like that and so he's kind of associated with that and i know paul he doesn't really He doesn't want to associate himself so much with his mom. He definitely pulls back from that and is like, I don't agree Mm -hmm. with her views. But I think the way that, like, their relationship was written was really realistic. I felt like that could really happen. And, you know, in the book, it seemed like Paul was just coming to terms with Adam. But for Adam, having someone who's close to you have those uncertainties must have been kind of hard for him. And Mm -hmm. it was. But at the end, you know, when there's the letter, like, it it was definitely hard to approach, but it felt realistic. It felt truthful. And I'm glad, ultimately, that they were able to have that relationship. Yeah, I think, too, like, to your point, I think to Adam, Paul needed time to figure out what this meant for their lives and figure out, like, I think he just wasn't sure how to be around Adam anymore Mm -hmm. um, because he just... You know, he needed his own time to kind of understand everything and things like that. And I think from Adam's perspective, it maybe looked like rejection. Right. Or like, like he was saying, like, Paul didn't know how to talk to him anymore, which is definitely what it seemed like. But I think it came more so from Paul trying to figure out the role he plays in Adam's life right now or how to be there for him. Mm -hmm. It, It took him a little longer to figure that out. And so I... Ultimately, like you were saying, I do like that they were able to kind of mend their relationship Mm -hmm. by the end of the book through that letter. Because it seemed, you know, prior to Adam's diagnosis, they had a a fine, you know, stepdaughter or stepfather, stepson relationship. And um, I think that the change that shifted in the relationship really weighed heavily on him throughout the book. So it was nice to see there was that resolve. And you brought up an excellent point, which in the book I feel also contributed to kind of that mending. And I'm not going to take credit for it, but it was when Adam's mom had the baby. Mm. Um, yeah, and see you if you want to. Oh, yeah, yeah. That part, like, that really, I don't know, I just felt connected. Like, the last, the ending of the book was so nice just because that's one thing, like, there's been so many books where I've read where it's, like, the third act, so to say, you know, that's kind of, like, where things could fall apart or where I won't really get that closure. Mm-hmm. But the way that things were written, um, you know, of course, Paul, once the baby's born, he 
has Adam hold the baby and like that was so big because in that moment it's he's saying you know I trust you I love you this is your sibling I'm a part of your family you're still a part of this family because I got the feeling that Adam felt like he needed to kind of pull back and separate himself because he didn't want to be a burden mm -hmm. and I think that's definitely something folks with mental disorders of all types feel you know just having this weight and yeah, just, you know, dealing with everything. And so that scene really stuck out to me. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I think it was just so important that it was Paul who mm -hmm. had him hold the baby. And it's just like his way of saying, like, like you said, I don't think differently of you. You know, mm -hmm. I still love you. You're still my son. And, you know, going on to your point about the ending, as I'm reading the book, I was very curious about how it was going to end because mm -hmm. I felt like that was really going to make the make or break the book more so maybe than with others because, you know, we have this, this topic that is not addressed very often or written about often. And so I didn't want it to end in such a way where it was like, everything's peachy mm -hmm. keen and he and Maya ride off into the sunset because that would not be realistic, you know? Right. And then I also didn't want this like, gut-wrenching ending that made it seem like people can't live with the disorder. So I just right. felt like there was, like, it was going to be a very delicate balancing act, and I feel like Julian nailed it. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like a realistic ending, and it felt like, you know, it wasn't being sugar-coated, like, oh, this is such an easy thing to get over, and, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be perfectly fine if you just accept love, but it also wasn't like he cannot ever continue to live his life, and right. this is all his life is going to be. So it was just a very, very well-done ending. Right, and, like, I, it frustrates me that this topic is still taboo and it's still a delicate topic, so to say. But like you said, the fact that she approached it so well, it makes me really hopeful for the future of mm -hmm. literature and media and like what we can expect and just people getting more comfortable about these are real issues. These are real mm -hmm. life human issues. Countless folks are dealing with every day. And so it shouldn't be something that, you know, you have to whisper about or you can't be so... You know, it has to be all quiet and all that, you know? Yeah, and there was specifically a part in the book when Adam was talking about, like, how people approach him having schizophrenia compared to people who have, you know, other disorders or people mm -hmm. who have certain diseases. And so he compared it to, like, when someone has cancer, he's like, when you have cancer, people are sympathetic. They feel something for you, and people even hold braces to raise money for your cure. It's different when people are afraid of what you've got because then you've got some of the sympathy but none of the support. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of the issue. Like, people don't make an effort to... If they don't understand something, they don't make an effort to try. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people who have schizophrenia, people don't understand, you know, the complexity of the disorder. And so they just take what they see in the media or what people tell them and they run with that. And so, mm -hmm. like, for him to say, like, there, there really isn't a support system for people with schizophrenia. People with many mental disorders, like, where is that support mm -hmm. system, you know? And so I just thought that was a really, really great line, and that really stuck out to me. I had to write it down, and I wanted to make sure to put it in the episode because I felt like that was such a good compare and contrast to make. Right. For No, for sure. And in the film, when they approach that same subject, there's a scene where they're on a bus, and they see a homeless person, and Adam kind of... It's kind of implied that he thinks he could also have schizophrenia mm -hmm. disorder. And he starts talking about how in society, the way that people just don't feel empathy you know they acknowledge it they see it they're like yeah that sucks but there's no no one's really extending like an olive branch like trying to help understand and so a lot of times in the homeless population 
you know, these are people, human beings who are just outcasted. And that's not to say, of course, every single homeless person is dealing with mental health disorders, but for those who are, it's just another step where they're feeling most likely distanced from everyone. They don't have the support. Pushed to the fringes of society. Right, and it's awful, it's terrible. And so I was really, I'm glad that part made it to the film. And um, yeah, it's definitely something to think about. But I, I wanted to ask you about, so so using medication to treat his disorder was a major part mm-hmm. in the book and the film. And I just, I don't know, I felt like it was really interesting because in the beginning, I got that he definitely was pretty reliant on the medication. Like he wanted it to work. He wanted it to be the, you know, magic pill. And seeing him kind of grapple with the reality, because it's a trial for an experimental drug. And so seeing him kind of grapple with it and how it affects his life, that was really interesting. What was your take on it? Yeah, it was. And it's interesting, too, because there's kind of a little bit of a difference between the book and the film. In the book, he, um, like you were saying, was starting to become reliant on it. He noticed that it was making a difference. He could see, like, he was feeling like he had more control uh, kind of over his hallucinations and stuff and, like, just being able to differentiate between what was real and what wasn't. Like, he just seemed like he had a greater um, control over it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't completely gone, but he could control it. Whereas the the movie kind of took the approach where they were kind of going away altogether. Mm-hmm. And, but then also in the book, he didn't want to stop taking it. Right. It was per his doctor's recommendations because they said he wouldn't be a good candidate because it wasn't, um, he was having too many side effects. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, he noticed he was having the side effects and mm-hmm. stopped taking it. It's interesting to see those two different takes and to see the role that it, it played mm-hmm. in, I feel like almost in his acceptance of his disorder and how he moves forward. Yeah. And I felt like that was definitely really important. So a lot of times when treating all all types of different mental health disorders, it is recommended that there's like a two-step approach. So whether that be medication and therapy, a combo or one or the other, it's pretty common, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something that was really important for Adam was that he felt this major disconnect between, he was like, here's me, and then here's my schizophrenia. But by the end of the book, when he realizes that the medical trial isn't working, it kind of, in a way, forces him to kind of connect the two. It was just so nice to see him be like, this is me, this is all of me. And I felt like, that's not to say that the medication or medication can't be effective, but I felt like in his specific case, it was really useful for him because while he still had his psychiatrist to talk to, and he also has a wonderful support team. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got Maya, Dwight, um, his mom, Paul, that was super helpful for sure. But ultimately, you know, when he's by himself, he's like, look, this is me. This is what I'm dealing with. And I felt like once he had that confidence and comfort within himself, he was just doing better and he felt better. Yeah. And there was a great line and I can't remember it verbatim. And, I, and now I can't remember if it was from the book or the film or both. But basically, um, I think it was his mom telling him, like, this is a part of you, but it's not all of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And And just having that acceptance, like this is something that will always be a part of him. I mean, as we know that there's no cure, but it does not have to define who you are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, no matter, especially a lot of people when you're struggling from some kind of mental disorder, it feels like it is all encompassing. It feels mm-hmm. like, you know, how, how 
I, first of all, I know a lot of people don't ever want to say anything because they don't want that label attached. Like, that's mm-hmm. all people will see once you t- open up and tell them. I understand that fear. And then it's also just, you know, even in your own mind, like, you are more than whatever it is that is plaguing you. And mm-hmm. so f- to see him, like, just come to terms with that, that, yes, this is something I will have to deal with forever, mm-hmm. but it does not make or break who I am as Adam. Exactly. And I think a lot of his contention with himself and his kind of inner inner demons had to do with the fact that at his original high school that was really hard to read and oh, even yeah. harder to watch like i just wanted to give him a hug like where is his hug at we Can need hugs like, six o'clock charlie Plummer killed this role yes. he did such a great job like i'm gonna say that like a hundred times before this episode is over yes but yeah he really did yeah, I was just telling Sarai before we started recording that I recently watched Looking for Alaska on Hulu, and hopefully we can maybe cover it at someday on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm down. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was my first time being introduced to, like, his acting, and um, coincidentally, before we both started reading it, we knew, like, they were casted Charlie Plummer and Taylor Russell, so, like, the, ti- like, the whole time I was reading it, I was picturing Charlie Plummer, yeah, but, sure. like... Once we saw the film afterwards, we both were like, okay, this is this is Adam. He's this, the perfect Adam, yeah. Right. But yes, so when he's at his original high school, everything was fine until his so-called friends found out about his schizophrenia. And that's when they turn, you know, they push him to the side, they outcast him. They basically are calling him a weirdo, all this stuff terrible terrible people yes but like you know he's carrying that with him right so he's very guarded he's very defensive and so when he goes to um the catholic private school and he starts meeting everyone his whole approach is like no one's gonna know about this i'm keeping this hush this medica medication is gonna help me like everything will just go away Mm -hmm. but it was so nice that maya and dwight in the book were just like dude, we don't care. Like, yeah. we love you yes. and all that comes with you. You don't have to hide this. You don't have to push this away. You don't have to carry all that weight by yourself. There's this part when I believe it's after, like, the prom fiasco and he's at home. He hasn't been at school in a while and Dwight shows up. And in the book, every Monday night, they play tennis. And mm-hmm. at first, it was arranged by their moms as, like, a, <laughs> a teenage play date. And then, they're you know, they're friends. Mm-hmm. So they kept doing it. And then he shows up and... Adam, it's his first time seeing him since everything. He's like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, we don't have to do this. It's fine. Like, our moms, they're not making us. And he's like, it's Monday night. We're playing tennis. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, don't you know that I'm schizophrenic? He, I think he just flat out yeah. says it. And he's like, yes, but it's Monday and we play tennis. Right. <laughs> you know, I loved that part. I loved that. That felt realistic. Like, I could see that happening. And I just love how he's like, I don't care about all that. Like, I just care that one, you're okay. And two, you, you know, you're my friend. Like, we're about to play. And then Adam was like, he said something about, like, not wanting to go outside or something to that effect. And he's like, that's why I got the Wii Sports. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and, and what you're saying, too, is the way that Maya and Dwight reacted when they found out. That should not be the exception mm-hmm. to the rule. You know, the rule should not be people shunning him and treating him terribly and making fun of him. I mean, my goodness, what is wrong with these people? And mm-hmm. so it's like the the kindness, compassion, understanding, and support that they showed him, like, that should be from everybody that should be the norm that should be the norm and so i'm glad that he had them in his life and i i just i only hope that we get to a point where like that is the norm because Mm -hmm. like let's be honest i feel like the reactions other people have of 
pushing him away or making mm-hmm. assumptions is a much more realistic thing, unfortunately. Definitely. And um, quickly, I just want to touch more on Maya's reaction because that was really interesting. Because, of course, at this point, they have a full romantic relationship. They're dating, boyfriend and girlfriend. And, of course, there's the prom fiasco situation with Ian. And, you know, he decided, especially in both in the book and the film, it was pretty much similar. He's like, look, I don't want to see her. I'm, you know, he felt embarrassed mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Like, what Ian did was horrible and he shouldn't, like, that part was tough because I didn't want him to feel embarrassed because of his schizophrenia, but it's understandable that, you know, prom, one of the biggest nights in high school, you know, that he experienced that. And so, long story short, he wants to push Maya away. I hated to see, because, like, in the in the movie, he was yelling at her, yeah. basically, just to try and, trying to get her to leave. Yeah. And it's just, like, it, it breaks your heart. It really does. And Right. And so... I love that she was just like, you don't get to make that choice. You know, it's not your decision to decide... What's best for both of us. Right. You know, she's like, I have a say in this. And it's tough because I understand. Like, I'm not going to just be like, no, he just has to tell everyone. Like, yeah. like you were saying, this is obviously something that's very difficult for him to deal with. And he's just experienced this awful situation at his old high school. It makes complete sense why he feels that way. But Maya's also right in the sense that, you know, he made that decision for the both of them. And so by her just being there, um, like, I don't care. I love you and everything that comes with you. Mm-hmm. If this is what's going on, we're going to work through it together as a unit. So that's one of the things that I really liked about Maya is, like, her fierce independence and she doesn't back down from her opinions mm-hmm. just because, you know, maybe she's thinking what she thinks or believes might go against the, the norm. She's not afraid to voice her opinion. She's not afraid to say what she means. Mm-hmm. And I think even Adam comments on that. Like, she always says exactly what she means. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, there's a point she's like, it's best to say what you mean or say nothing at all. And so she's very upfront. And so, you know, she did not let him scare her away. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people would have taken, like, especially that part where he yelled at her, they would have taken that, like, fine, he doesn't want to see me, then I guess that's that. But she's like, no, absolutely not. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not, I refuse to let you push me away. Right. And I just, like, I I love the way she stuck up for herself and stuck up for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maya's character was interesting. Mm -hmm. And, like, the fact that she was described by Adam as being almost robotic-like. Yeah. I laughed out loud just because... Just in my regular talking slang, I guess you could call it, I'm always making, like, slick, subtle technological references. Like, I'll be like, my stomach's downloading right now. Like, if it's, like, (laughs) if I, you know, if I'm hungry. So I thought that was super funny and, like, tongue-in-cheek. But Maya was interesting. She was kind of, like, a crab in the sense that she had this tough exterior and she's very laconic and... But she, you know, she had a softer. She cared. She loves her friend. She loves Adam. And... She or in the film, she was pretty independent. Yeah. You know, she... I felt like I got the sense that she wasn't trying to get close to anyone because she was very driven, determined. Mm-hmm. She's like, look, I have a plan. I'm valedictorian. And so... Yeah, their relationship in the movie was definitely more of a slow burn kind of thing. And not saying in the book they, like, jumped into bed together, but it was definitely more of, like... The book had more of them actually being together. Yeah. Um, where the, a lot of the movie was, like, building up to them getting to that point. Right. So something else I wanted to talk about with Maya's character was that, of course, there's the part when he shows up to her house. Um, He could tell at school she was acting different. She seemed kind of like she was having a bad day. And they were supposed to hang out, but she's like, you know, not right now, I'm busy. And he 
so something that was just really fun to read is like Adam's passion for cooking. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say really quick. I love when movies use food as part of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I love that. I don't know if you've seen the movie Chef. Oh, I've heard yes. about it. Yes. Okay. Such a good movie. I just love when food plays like an integral part of the story because like I feel like that's so true for our lives. Mm-hmm. Like there's such like a, um, a community and like just a lot of them like emotional attachment. Yeah. I'm kind of going off of that or like with Adam's decision to cook and stuff there's that part in the book i'm not sure if it was in the film but adam's mom was saying that like she has this kind of principle that she loves to sit down and eat a meal together in person and like like you're saying like just unity community bonding over food breaking bread together so to say there's a sentimental attachment associated with food and cooking together and like you know you, you associate memories and people with certain mm-hmm. dishes and so i just love that food especially in the movie we got to see that come to life yes really like that. yes and you know he shows up to maya's house he meets her father her little brothers and he knows in the book at least that for her food is, is it's, it's an afterthought you know mm-hmm. it's like look i'm busy i gotta eat here's a some mac and cheese or here's like a frozen dinner or something like that but for him you know he's really advanced he's making filet mignon and all that good homemade stuff homemade pad thai when yes. he said that part i was like what <laughs> and he also bakes you know in the book at least but so long story short you know he goes over and he makes this meal i think it's like lasagna and garlic knots and super delicious stuff and she comes home and she's just kind of like what the heck mm-hmm. you know like you showed up unannounced and you're cooking and like she felt like he was kind of pitying her yeah, i got yeah you know? yeah yeah especially they appear to come from two different social classes as well so i think that was definitely like a contributing factor and as as independent as maya is like we were saying i feel like the last thing she wants is anyone's pity mm-hmm. and especially like i mean she hadn't admitted it yet but it's pretty easy to see that at this point she likes adam mm-hmm. and so especially you know someone she has feelings for she purposely kept this part of her life separate from him, especially in the movie. You know, she got dropped off at a fake house because she didn't want him to know where she really lived and, like, see that her family was living a much more modest lifestyle than he was. And so I think, first first of all, him seeing where she lived and taking pity on her was one thing, and then coupled with the fact that she had feelings for him, I think really mm-hmm. contributed to the reaction that she had. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that was an interesting part for sure, both in the book and the film. And I won't take credit for this because you brought this up. But in the film, at least, and the book, like, I... Well, I mean, I'll just bring it up if you want to talk more about it. But it was pretty clear to, I think, like, the reader or the viewer that Adam wasn't malintentioned. And that, you know, we can kind of intuit from... Like, he's very caring. (laughs) That's something I got from the book. He is so considerate and thoughtful and he's very um, particular about how he engages with everyone around him. And so I don't think he met any foul by it. It wasn't like he wasn't trying to pity her. You exactly. Know? Yeah. He was genuinely just trying to, I feel, and I, and not even like, I feel like this is just true. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, he's a very sweet person, genuinely kind, considerate. And I feel like he just wanted to make her happy, which mm-hmm. is exactly what I believe he said to her in that scene is I just wanted to do something to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, in the book she'd been crying. He knew she was like down that day. And I'm like, how unbelievably sweet is that? Yeah. He's just, ugh, I love him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, on the flip hand, I can definitely see where Maya's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. And especially going to... I could speak to that. Like, I went to a high school that was, 
definitely on the upper middle class scheme of things and just a completely different socioeconomic and like race, all that stuff different than what my experience was. And so I understand why she was on the defense and especially with him just kind of showing up unannounced. She's like, what the heck? And at this point, like he knows that she gave him the wrong house. So that clearly means she doesn't want you to know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of felt betrayed. She was probably embarrassed. You know, she, I don't know. (laughs) My mom had this thing when I was a kid growing up where it's like, if we had company coming over, you know, got to clean the house, got to get everything together. Right, yeah. You know, so in the event that someone did show up unannounced, it's kind of like, oh, well, I didn't do my cleaning thing, you know, but like, come on in kind of thing. But For her, she wasn't even there. Adam met her father and, like, her siblings. I think she felt kind of, like, caught off guard Mm -hmm. by that moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, Something I will say that was different between the book and the movie that I I really liked was um, Father Patrick's character. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Adam goes to a confession. Like, at one point in the book, it happens, and he kind of talks to, you know, who who is going to go on to be Father Patrick's character in the movie. But, uh, and that's really all we see of that character there but in the movie you know he goes to see him several times he even goes to see adam once he's hospital or after he's hospitalized and i really kind of liked bringing his character into the story more in the movie because it kind of gave adam another person another supportive person in his life Mm -hmm. you know another person who was there to kind of guide him or he could go to when he was seeking advice and Adam came as his full and whole self. He didn't hold anything back just because he was the priest. But, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed his character. I feel like Andy Garcia was the perfect person to cast for that. And especially, and I know we kind of talked about this before we started um, recording, so I'm not going to take credit because that was you who mentioned it. But since he seemed to have a more tumultuous relationship with Paul in the movie than in the book, um, I feel like Father Patrick's character kind of helped to ease some of that some of what he was looking for in terms of guidance and mm-hmm. having like a father-ish figure mm-hmm. literally and metaphorically <laughs> <laughs> no yeah for sure that's true it was definitely refreshing to see that and it was just another way of thinking it was especially interesting because in the book and the film from what i understand adam is leaning towards atheist and at the very least he just doesn't really understand Catholicism. Mm-hmm. He's not really connected to it. And so it's like, of all people, you know, you got Father Patrick, who he's really connecting with. But I think that was important. It was interesting. It's just another lens. Because, yeah. you know, he has his mom's POV. He's got Maya, his girlfriend. He's got Dwight, his friend. And now he has Father Patrick, who is coming from more of a kind of like a religious, biblical background. But he's still, he was very clever in making his message still applicable to Adam, mm-hmm. who, like you said, was not holding back. He was swearing. He was real comfortable. <laughs> and one more thing I know we kind of touched on this earlier, and I should have mentioned it then, but it just came to me, was that scene at the end of the movie where Adam, after his mom and Paul pick him up after he was hospitalized, and they take him to the school, and he goes on stage and tells everyone that he has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was a really important moment when we're talking about him to kind of taking ownership of the disorder and, you know, realizing it and accepting that this is a part of him mm-hmm. um, and not being ashamed of that or feeling like he needs to hide it. That was such a key moment for Adam. And I feel like just the, the growth it took to get him to that point and the the courage it took to even do that, you mm-hmm. know, it was just another really touching moment. And I like that that was included in the movie because... Um, Again, Charlie Plummer, you know, it was a very emotional moment. He mm-hmm. really um, acted that scene very well. And so I feel like that was a very, very important moment for Adam. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess just kind of quickly moving into the film a little bit more. The performances were stellar. The soundtrack was compelling. The CGI was really compelling too and just really good because in it's one thing to read about Adam's experiences with his hallucinations, but to see that come to life, mm-hmm. we really were there with Adam. Like we felt his fears. It was really interesting to see it come to life because even though like I had the characters kind of already pictured in my head, I still kind of had a, a different just a different experience like reading the book I had you know I was creating this world in my head and then seeing another interpretation on film Mm -hmm. there were definitely some differences from the film and the book but I think thematically we still got the message which is just self-acceptance having that support team yeah definitely they did an amazing job of really immersing us in Adam's world and really trying to clearly show the viewer what he was going through. And like you said, the the changes that they did make, I think that they worked well in bringing the story to life visually. Because mm-hmm. like, um, I know we talked about this in our interview with Julia, but the, the entire book is told through his journal entries. And so, you know, how to bring that to film where you still feel like you can relate to Adam and so instead having it like you know just him talking to the camera and said you know just little changes like that that really can pull us in and tie us to the character and bring us into that world and so in watching the film and like seeing the little things that they did change it just really helped the story to come together in a very cohesive fashion uh, visually mm-hmm. and that's actually an interesting point um that you brought up and I know we did touch on it like you said in the interview but So right off the jump in the book, the fact that, you know, he's writing in like a journal format to his psychiatrist, but like it's first person. So it's kind of like he's speaking to us, you know, so we kind of get that connection by having them do that parallel in the film with breaking the fourth wall, him speaking directly to the camera. Mm -hmm. Again, like he's still speaking to us We're we feel like we're right there with Adam, you know, like we're one of his friends like we're part of that yeah, support he's, team yeah he's, he's talking to us and giving us the play-by-play right and so yeah that was really a clever decision a clever change you know mm-hmm. you guys probably know this from listening from like our little fires episode and normal people but we tend to be really like you know they're books books are babies we love books and so when they... adaptation must be exactly like the book <laughs> right like how we act right you know but at the end of the day, it's a different medium, so there's going to be those differences. And definitely, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, it's if you haven't read or watched, please do yourself the favor. I feel like this is such an important book, such an important story that needs to be told. Clearly, we both feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we both really enjoyed it. So, yes, check out the film, check out the movie. Go ahead and listen to our interview with Julia. She gives amazing insight into these characters and where these stories came from. And we had a really great time chatting with her and getting to learn more about um, her and about both of her books. So be sure to check that out. Right now, the book is available as an ebook or in person at Barnes & Noble or wherever you get your books. And the film will be available next month. On November 10th, it'll be available digitally, and November 17th, it will be available on DVD. So definitely check it out, guys, and don't be afraid to hit us up. You know, we want to talk to you guys. We want to have that dynamic going. We'll have our socials plugged in our um, show notes as per usual. And yeah, we really hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next week. Please stay tuned after the outro for more information on our donation of the week.
For this week's donation, we have chosen the National Alliance on Mental Illness. NAMI is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for those affected by mental illness. Through education, support, and advocacy, they aim to remove the stigma and create a world where all people affected by mental illness live healthy, fulfilling lives, supported by a community that cares. NAMI helps to shape public policy for people with mental illness, offer education programs, organize public events such as Mental Illness Awareness Week and NAMI Walks, and provide a toll-free NAMI helpline that offers free information and support. For more information about NAMI and how to donate, please visit the link in our show notes and we'll see you next week.